has happened to a nation that used to fear the Lord, to a people whose foundation was built upon God's word. We've allowed the world's opinion to chart a different way, but it's time the church of Jesus Christ should boldly stand and say, God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. Take it from the courthouse walls, remove it from the schools. Teach our children that we're animals, speak against the golden rule. Try and hide our Christian heritage from the public eye. But they'll never overcome God's word, no matter how they try. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail in the hearts of men. God's word will stand. It is forever settled to evermore endure. It's the only way a sinner's heart could ever be made pure. God's word will stand against the raging tide of those who criticize and work their evil plans. God's word will stand against the gates of hell with power to prevail. God's word will stand. God's word will stand. I'm glad I don't have to follow that, and she does. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Katie gets very nervous when she sings by herself. I want you to know that, okay? So make sure you are smiling, all right? All right? No, really, that was a great song, and what a tremendous uh, message it has. But I'm looking forward to Kaylee's song as well. And I know, well, I'll tell you what, we're preparing ourselves now for the message. And, boy, a, me a song like that almost gets you ready to hit the altars before the message even gets started. Amen? Let's get our hearts ready for what God has for us, Katie.
Once again, a great song about the grace of God. Amen? Wow. Aren't you amazed that God would have anything at all to do with you? Isn't that something? You know, I guess we get into trouble when we start thinking God got a good deal. He didn't really get a good deal. We got the good deal. Amen? We got the good deal. Well, take your Bible. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And again, we're kind of concluding our series in this area of Ecclesiastes. And uh, it's been, well, 12 lessons uh, that we've been, uh, have, have enjoyed, I, I hope. <laughs> and uh, now here we are on the final one. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. <clears throat> we are going to be looking primarily at chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, at least I think so. Uh, I'm going to start off uh, reading verse 1. And uh, I want to make some statements there, and then we're going to, I would imagine, we'll get to 13 and 14, which is really the, uh, the crux of the, the lesson, and, and we'll see how that goes. But I just want to express a, a couple of thoughts about the beginning of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that I find to be extremely interesting and, and very helpful to me, and I hope that it'll be the same for you. But, uh, so with that said, let's go to the beginning of the chapter here. And let's just read verse 1 together, and let me make a few of those statements. We'll look at another couple of verses in the chapter, and hopefully we end up at verse 13 and 14, and if not, that'll be all right too, but we'll get there sooner or later. So, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, let's read together. I'll read aloud, you read silently. The Bible says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh. When thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, I want you to notice just very quickly at the end of that statement, it says, I have no pleasure in them, and there is a semicolon. You're going to notice that there is a long-running sentence here. I mean, it goes on and on and on all the way till you get to verse 6. It's interesting to see such a long Long, uh, a long sentence, if you will. Now, again, it's kind of an unorthodox type sentence because there's colons and semicolons at the end. There's commas. There's all kinds of things happening here. But we don't see a period till we get to the end of verse 6. And so, in essence, we're seeing that there's something. It's all put together, right? It begins here. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And he begins to speak about this issue. And he starts to share some things about it. Now, we note the urgency right off the bat in the verse. We note this, remember now. Not, not remember tomorrow or next week or next month. Uh, not even in the next 10 minutes or 20 minutes. He says, remember now. Remember now. Remember now. He says, where you're at, what you're doing, what you're thinking, stop right there, hold the press, remember now. Remember now. Thy creator Thy creator. Remember who? He says thy creator. And what are we to remember about our creator? Obviously, we learn very quickly through the word of God that we are not our own, are we? We are literally God's property. Not only by creation, but by redemption as well. And he says, listen, remember now. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till next week or next month or next year. Don't even wait till next hour. You remember right now your creator, that you are his property, that he bought you with a price, 
Remember now thy creator. And he basically says, hey, you ought to be serving him with your all. And serving him with your best days, not your leftovers. He says, he goes on in the passage, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not. And that is, before the evil days come. For instance, the calamity or the problems and the difficulties of old age. Problems in our life and even as our body begins to age and so forth. The truth is, is that as those days come on us, it gets to where serving God gets more difficult. It's more difficult at least than it is in our youth. He says, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. No pleasure. What's he talking about? In, In the sensual things, the things that you can experience and enjoy in life. Obviously, there's pleasure for all ages, no matter how old you are, no matter what your body condition is, if indeed you're serving the Lord, if indeed you're connected to Christ. That's for the truth. No doubt about that. If you're godly in your, your, your place with the Lord, then certainly you can enjoy the pleasures of God in your life. But your body's still going to be changing. Your world is changing around you. Things are different than they were when you're young. The chapter continues, in a sense, to metaphorically describe, describe the plight of, of, of aging. And, you know, how quickly youth fades and how quickly the body does as well. Ultimately, it finds its place where it began, in the dust. And that's exactly what Solomon is reminding us of here. Remember now thy Creator. Remember him now, because ultimately the body's going to go back to dust again. He says, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it, verse 7. We note that the body goes back to dust. We know that God formed Adam of the dust of the earth. We know that the, the, that ground, that dust of the ground, that earth, it was put together and formed by God into what we now know the body. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. Everybody has a spirit. But hold on, where does your soul end up? In heaven or hell? That's an important factor. There is no life without God. Lost or saved, God gives life. But that spirit goes back to be with God. But what about your soul? Where does that go? It goes to heaven or hell. So the body goes back to dust. The spirit goes back to God who gave it. And the soul either goes to heaven or hell. So with our bodies... Back to dust. Solomon revisits a statement shared at the beginning of the book. And he says in verse 8, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Again, we're reminded of the vanity of life without God. How empty, how vain, how valueless life is without God the Creator. 
And Solomon is basically saying, you remember your creator now in your youth when you're able to serve effectively and extensively because there is indeed coming a day, if you live long enough, that you'll have little to give, if anything at all. Your strength, your stamina, your mind, your memory, your ability, your agility, your opportunity will surely be hindered and hampered, limiting your service, if not ending it altogether. So you only have so much time. There's only such a short window. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Because there's coming a day when you'll no longer be able to serve God as you would like to. You'd be able to or you ought to in that regard. You'll look back and say, boy, I wish I could go soul winning. I wish I could run a bus. I wish I could teach Sunday school. I wish I could still go out and witness to people. I wish I could still pass out a track. I wish I could get out of bed. I wish I could get out of my house. I'm stuck in my house. I can't go out anywhere. I can't do anything anymore. He says, remember now, thy creator, the days of thy youth. Before that old body breaks down, before everything falls apart, before you can't do what you really want to do for God. And by the way, it seems to me that everybody wants to do all they can for God when they can't do it anymore. It just seems to me that everybody's too busy in their youth. Not everybody, but many. And then all of a sudden, when we can't serve God, it's when we want to serve God. Don't get caught wasting your life on vain things. Remember now thy creator. Remember now thy creator. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Oh, I've got many years to serve the Lord. You don't know. And sadly enough, some of these aging saints in this room sit back and wish to God they could still go out They could still do some of the things they used to do. Oh, no, I'm not talking about sitting on the sidelines. I'm not talking about being able to do something and not doing. I'm just saying there are things you can't do anymore. You can't hear like you used to hear. You can't see like you used to see. Things change as you grow older. And it it, it sometimes has a tendency to limit your opportunities of service. And Solomon is pointing this fact out. And he's saying, boy, you have an opportunity. If you have any youth at all, if you have any strength at all, if you have any stamina at all, if you have any vigor at all, use it for God while you still can. Because there's coming a day you won't be able to. Because you won't have it to give. Boy, we get to serve the Lord. We get to praise Him. We get to adore Him and exalt our God. And those are things we can do many times. Whether or not we're stuck in a bed or whether we're out on a door knocking it, it doesn't matter. But the fact is, is that there are things that you will be limited in. And He's just saying, remember now, thy Creator, in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Some of you young people get kind of fed up with older people. You think, all they do is complain. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Really? And they're like, yeah, my back hurts a little bit, and my hip's giving me some trouble. 
And you're all like, man, every time I talk to them, there's something else wrong. Well, wait, your day's coming. And that's why it says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Most of the old saints, they get out there anyway, and they just hobble along, and they get it done. They do the best they can with what they still have left. But Solomon is trying to remind us that when we have everything still left, that's when we ought to be giving it to God. So Solomon spends the whole book of Ecclesiastes expressing his reasoning I mean, we can't forget that Solomon speaks from the viewpoint of a man. And not everything he says or the conclusions he comes to or arrives at are God's perspective. And therefore, we must keep that in mind. However, he addresses some pretty heavy-duty issues that we still face today. And over the last weeks, we've noted that. Solomon, however, comes to a conclusion. We note that although he sought fulfillment and satisfaction down many roads, he Realize that the world cannot satisfy. How many young people, and sadly, people my age, will test those waters instead of heeding his advice? You know, we often talk about there's a couple different ways to learn. You can learn the hard way or the easy way. You can learn... By your own experience or the experience of others. Take it for Solomon. It's not worth it. And so Solomon comes to this conclusion that life without God in this world, life without the Lord in your life is vanity. It's all vanity. It's empty. He addresses social ills, political injustices, talks about just how unfair life can appear at times. But this wise king finally resigns himself to the fact that he's not God. Thus, he'll never fully understand everything. Even though he's the wisest man, the Bible calls him, he's the wisest man. He recognizes and understands he is not wiser than God. And so, after many observations and considerations, He pens his final conclusion. He lays it out simply in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. And he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I have shared with you chapter after chapter, thought after thought, principle after principle, for these 11 12 chapters, and now I want to conclude it all. I want to wrap it all up. I want to give my advice to you. I want to really lay it down where the rubber meets the road. And he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I don't know about you, but that's a powerful verse. When you think about that, you you start talking about, well, what am I to accomplish? What am I to do in my life? What's most important to do? I mean, should I go to college or shouldn't I go to college? Should I go into the trades or shouldn't I go into trades? I mean, uh, should I buy a car right now? Should I buy a house? What should I do here? What should I do there? He says, I'll tell you what, let's make it real simple. First and foremost, 
fear God and keep his commandments. Because when it's all said and done, that's the whole duty of man. That's what your real responsibility is, to simply fear God and keep his commandments. Now, there's some other things along the way, and you can seek God's leadership, and he will give it to you. But listen, don't get caught up in all those other things. Be careful that you just remember all the time your creator. Don't ever forget him in this process. Don't lose sight of him in life. And honestly, it's easy to lose sight of God in life. Well, I know, uh, maybe you haven't had that problem, but I'll be honest with you, even as a pastor, as a preacher at times, I find myself losing sight of God if I'm not careful. I find myself getting in a a kind of an old rut or a routine, and I, I can find myself going through the motions if I'm not careful and saying, I've done this a million times. I can do it one more time. But I need God to do it right. I need God to do it the way he intended it to be done. I can't do it on my own if I want to truly accomplish what God intended to accomplish in and through me. But boy, it's easy sometimes to neglect God along life's journey. To forget about him a little bit. Someone says, I never forget. I know, but I wonder sometimes. I mean, I hope that's true, but... How many decisions do we make without consulting him? And you say, yeah, but I never make a major decision without it. Yeah, but what about the little ones? I'm just saying that if things aren't outlined and spelled out in the word of God for us already, then we probably ought to consult him. And I think sometimes if we're not careful and if we'd be perfectly honest, we kind of think we know how to live life. And he is telling us here, after giving us an entire book, warning us against vanity, saying, listen, don't live your life without God. It's vanity. It's all vanity. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. When I think about fearing God, I I don't know about you, but I think of submission. I, I mean, I grew up in a home, and I grew up in a day when, when uh, it wasn't unusual for parents to spank their children. That was a normal thing. I think, I think I need to remind you for a minute, that is a biblical thing. But nonetheless, that's how it used to be done for the most part. Now, I just remember that there was a natural fear of the authority in my home. Well, it wasn't natural, it was learned. I guess it was learned. I mean, my daddy taught me that if you're going to cross him or the rules, then you're going to have to pay the consequences. There was a healthy fear of my father. You know why it was healthy? Because it kept me out of trouble. It's amazing how we've taken the word fear and we've tried to kind of redefine it in the Bible. You know, it's respect, it's awe, and all of that. I get that. And ultimately, we understand that fear in the believer's life kind of changes as he matures or she matures in Christ. But let me tell you, when you first start off as a believer, uh, I'm telling you, you, you understood one thing. If I don't get saved and trust Christ, I'm going to get a whooping. I'm going right to hell. And someone says, that's not the same thing. Okay, what kind of fear is that? Is that awe and respect of God? Is that what really drew you to salvation? 
because you respected God and in all. Man, he deserves my best. I need to give God my life because he's everything to me. No, you went and said, man, my sin is sending me to hell. And if I don't get right with the creator God of the universe and receive and accept Jesus as my Savior, I'm going to die and go to hell and pay for my sin. There's a healthy fear there of the God who created all things and the consequences of those who reject his way, his truth, and his life. And so you trust him. You first start off the Christian life, you want to please the Lord. And just like when you start off as a child in a home and you have a parent that biblically disciplines, you're not really conscious and cognitive of all the reasons and the, for, for doing what you do. You just knew that there's some things that daddy expects, mama expects, and you either do them or there's a price to pay. And as a baby in Christ, you don't fully comprehend nor do you understand every reason for why God has you doing things. You just know you ought to get baptized now. You just know that it's important you start reading your Bible and praying. You understand that you need to start taking steps of growth. And that includes opportunities of service in your life. And sometimes you say, well, why do I need to do this? And why do I need to do that? And someone says, well... I'll tell you what, the Bible says this, and you say, I know I don't quite get it. And they say, listen, just do it for now. I promise you, you'll understand later. And in the day and age in which we live, we're being taught not to obey authority, just to obey it. That's a dangerous thing. Now, I know, you know, we got all these abuses in life, and parents are so afraid, don't ever trust your teachers, don't trust anybody, don't ever do what they tell you because they'll take advantage of you, abuse you, and all that. But I'm telling you, we are training our children to not be obedient to authority. You got to be real careful. There's a real balance you got to reach there. And you, you tell you what, you better ask God for balance in that area. But I know one thing, there are things as a new convert that we do because we just are told this is the right thing to do. We don't fully comprehend, nor do we understand it. But we do it. And as we begin to read the Bible, as we study it, as we learn it from the pulpit, as we get it in Sunday school class, as we get it in Sunday school class, as we get it in Sunday school class, how pitiful when Christians won't go to Sunday school. Too much Bible, I guess, on Sunday. Too much of the Word of God, I guess. It's overload, right? Can't get, you, just, you get too much of it, it just confuses you, I'm sure. So we go to Sunday school. We go to Sunday school. And we start to learn and understand the Word of God. And guess what happens? You start to figure out why God has us doing these things. Why God asked me to do that. Now, all of a sudden, as you start to get certain certain place in your Christian life, that, that, that fear of God, that fear of the consequences of disobedience, you start to understand why he wants you to do what he wants you to do, and that it's truly in your own best interest, and that God only cares about your successes, and he wants you to be, be successful, so to speak, at least in the Christian life. And you start to go, wow, he's so good to me. I don't want to hurt my Savior. After everything he's done for me, everything he's done for me, I don't want to hurt him. I don't, I don't want to disappoint him. One of the things that concerns me today with our youngsters is that they don't care if they disappoint leadership anymore. Because, you know, it doesn't matter. 
All that matters is that I'm happy. All that matters is what I think is right. You have these expectations for me, mom, dad. You have these expectations for me, teacher at school or Sunday school teacher. I don't care. Do my memory verse. Who cares? What are you going to do about it? I don't care if you're disappointed. Big deal. I don't care. Keep your stupid candy. I get more than that at home. And whether you are happy with me or not doesn't really matter to me. All that matters is I'm happy with myself. This is the kind of mentality we're teaching and training our children to have. There's a problem with that. But we get to the place, hopefully, in our Christian life, and this is a danger, because I promise you this, with the breakdown of the home, we're, 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 we're negating the picture of the father and the child. No wonder we have such poor God concepts today, because we have such poor homes when daddy's not daddy in the home, when he's not a man in the home, when he's not acting as the heavenly father in his home, so to speak, and, and directing and guiding the family as he ought to, the children misunderstand who God is. And so nonetheless, we move from this, this healthy fear in the sense of consequences for sin to this fear of disappointing, hurting our heavenly father. See, as we mature in our Christian life, fear takes on a different perspective for us. Now I'm not worried just about God punishing me. I'm worried about disappointing the Father who loved me and gave me everything. And the closer and the more should I say, the more we mature in Him, the more Christ-like we become, the more now our great fear is that we do not please the Father. That's our fear. That we don't fulfill His will. That we don't accomplish what He's called us to do. That's our great fear now. But what happens sometimes with this fear is that some that are over here try to tell them who are over here what fear is when they haven't gotten over there yet. And so we tell them, oh, you don't have to be afraid of God. You can, listen, he's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. Live your life. God just wants you to be happy. No, there are consequences for sin. And you ought to have a healthy fear of the Creator God. But as you grow and mature in Christ, that fear will begin to transform and change. And now, all I want to do is please Him. I don't want to disappoint Daddy. That's my great fear. Where are you at on the fear spectrum? Honestly, where do you stand today? Do you find yourself so concerned about not pleasing God, so fearful of disappointing Him that you say no to yourself consistently in order to ensure He's pleased? No, I still struggle with doing the right things. Then may I say, you aren't over there then. You can think you're over there, but you aren't. When we are continually living in sin, doing things that we know that violate Scripture and the will of our Father, 
Don't believe that spiritually you're over there somewhere. That spiritually you're there, but practically you're not. You can't be practically not there and still be there spiritually. Americans, we, we always view ourselves as better than we are. I'm not talking about as a nation. I think, listen, I'm about sick up to here with believing somehow that we're not allowed to be the greatest nation on earth. What is wrong with that? I, I'm sorry, I, I have a problem with it. I, I grew up believing and learning that America was the greatest place to live. How come people keep tearing our borders down to get in if we're not a great nation? So why is everybody trying to tell us we're not a great nation? I'm having a real problem with that. And that, that kind of sidetracked me. Now I forgot where I was going. Did you get where we're going with this? Where are you at with God today? Where are you at with fearing God and keeping His commandments? What, what's the Bible say about keeping His commandments? If you love me, He says what? Keep my commandments. I believe the more we love the Lord, the less we want to hurt Him. You young people, don't lie to yourself. Oh, I love you, Mom and Dad. I just don't want to obey you. That's not love, friend. That's not love. Well, I love you. I just don't agree with your rules. You haven't figured it out yet. If you really love your parents, you don't want to hurt them. You're going to keep their commandments. You hear me? You're going to keep them. You know, we, I, I'm kind of a little bit off track here, okay? A, away from the notes, but I want you to understand that the Christian life, and, and I want us to all kind of understand that the Christian life is, it's so much deeper sometimes than we live it. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of relationships. I'm not trying to tell you you're a bad child or a bad parent or bad. I'm just saying, let's really be honest with ourselves. Let's really look at who we are in light of what God says we ought to be. And again, I say it often, but God is not as interested in what you do as who you are. He's more interested in you being than doing. And so many times, it seems to me, that we pacify our consciences by doing some things and then saying to ourselves, well, obviously, I'm a good baby, child of God. I've got to be one of God's favorites. Look at what I do for Him. And all along... God is excited about us doing the right things, but he's even more concerned about us being the right thing. Where, where's your fear lie today? Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. That's your whole responsibility. That's my whole responsibility. 
No, I'm to be a good wife and a good husband. According to who? The Scripture. Fear God and keep His commandments. I often tell the story in singles class especially. I tell them, when I met my wife for the first time, and I say, well, it wasn't the first time. Well, it was kind of the first time. I saw her across the room at a university, the University of Akron, but I never talked to her, so I never met her. And of course, immediately, she was with all the jocks from my school. We didn't go to the same school, but I saw her and I told my brother, I said, yeah, she's pretty good looking, but she's obviously stuck up. Now, he knew her better than I did. I had never even met her yet. And I went away to the army for three years. Never thought a thing of it. When I got back and started going to church, there at the, where, where, where they all went, my brother, my family, and all them, I saw her again. I went over. Her friend, her invited me and my friend over, you know. They invited us out. These girls are pretty forward these days, you know. <laughs> She'll debate that with you, but with me too. But anyway, that's how I saw it, okay? And I tell people, this is kind of weird, okay? But I went through all our cupboards. They, they went upstairs. You know that girls do. Let's go use the restroom. <laughs> and they went upstairs. And when they did, I took it as an opportunity to check to see if these girls were really what they claimed to be. I'd been in the army, and I'll be frank with you. There was a lot of people doing a lot of bad things in there. I got a pretty bad image of women when I was in the military. And I thought to myself, I wonder if they're real. I looked in their refrigerator to see if they had any alcohol. I checked the covers to see if there was a bottle of liquor somewhere. I went and looked at all their videos, and I snapped through them real quick to see what they were rated. You say, you were, I mean, a stalker. (laughs) I really wasn't a stalker, okay? But I did want to make sure that I wasn't wasting my time thinking about a girl who wasn't real. Because at that point, I decided I want a good girl. I want a Christian girl. I don't want just anybody. I want someone that's going to love the Lord. And boy, I'll tell you what, they passed the test with flying colors. Her and her roommate were sharp as tacks. And I remember getting to a place in my life, and it didn't take long for me, it took her a lot longer, where I thought, now this girl will make a good wife. And I remember thinking this, and I made this statement many times. I've said, it it would I don't even care if Sherry loved me. She would make a great wife. Because she loves the Lord so much that she would obey him and be the wife to me that she ought to be either way. I don't know if that's powerful to you, but that means a lot to me. I don't say that to lift her up and elevate her. I simply share that because 
I believe today we all ought to be in a place where our Christianity is what's moving us and motivating us. Our love for Jesus Christ and His Word and His truth is what lays the foundation and motivates us in life. Fearing God and keeping His commandments ought to be something that is first priority. It's the whole duty of man. The whole duty of a woman to fear God and keep His commandments. When we get to that place in our life, we'll be the best father we can possibly be. The best wife we could ever be. We'll be the best son or daughter we could ever be. We'll be the best employee or employer we could ever be. The best student that we could ever be. When we fulfill the whole duty of mankind. Fearing God and keeping His commandments. Do you fear God and keep His commandments tonight? That's my whole duty, and that's your whole duty. May God help us to do that. Father, we come to you. We thank you again. And Lord, maybe tonight there's an area in a life that needs to be addressed. Maybe we're doing so well in so many areas, but there's something we're holding out in. We're keeping something back from you. Maybe there's a scripture or there's a, a principle or possibly a commandment that we have violated and continue to violate, and it needs to be addressed in our life. And Lord, it's our duty to fear you and to keep your commandments. May we confess it as sin, forsake it, live our lives according to your word. And Father, maybe, maybe there's someone who's still way back here in their Christian development and, and they're trying to take steps forward. May you help them to get to the place where fearing you is really about no longer disappointing you and longing to please you with their whole life and attitude. God, help us. May we honor you tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Let's all stand.